Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people in direct-to-consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So this is Series 4 of 2021, and I have the pleasure of meeting and chatting with a select group of impact brands to unpack their story, growth, and how they're adapting to the evolving digital and consumer landscape. On this episode, I chat with Fanny Damayet, Chief Marketing Officer at Girlfriend Collective, a US-based activewear brand known for its sustainability and inclusivity. Prior to that, Fanny was the CMO at Webster, VP of Brand and Marketing at NSTO, and Director of Brand and Marketing Strategy at Essence. She holds a Master's in Global Fashion Management from the French Institute of Fashion, where she also teaches brand and marketing. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform that's designed to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. Yotpo's single platform integrates advanced solutions for loyalty and referrals, SMS marketing, reviews, and more so brands can strengthen relationships and customers and drive meaningful metrics like AOV, LTV, CVR, and more. That's why 35,000 plus direct consumer brands use Yotpo. Start building profitable relationships with your customers today by signing up for free at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Fanny, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Hi, Tim. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. And I'm in, currently in Paris, France. Um, and I believe you're in a, a slightly unique location. You, you're in a recording studio. Yes, absolutely. I'm in a music uh, recording studio and it's a great space. I currently have two pianos in this room, a drum set, a recent uh, keyboard. I have a full console and a gigantic screen in front of me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, we might be able to break into some 80s synth pop towards the end of the podcast, but we'll get through some questions first. Um, <laughs> um, I want to start by a bit of a rewind. I'd love to understand a little bit about your journey before you came to Girlfriend Collective. Yes, absolutely. So I was uh, obviously, you know, as you can hear, and by my location, you understand by now I'm French. Um, and I spent most of my early career here in Europe mostly uh, working on some very fun project, but already working on brand strategy. So I'm a you know one trick pony. I've been doing brand strategy for the past 16 years. That's, you know, like I like to say that's the only thing I can do well. Um, and I've been... I'm sure that's not true, but anyway. <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely, you know, what I love to do, that's for sure. And um, yeah, I've been, I've been a consultant for about 10 years um, in a great agency here um, in Paris called Sages and Partners. And what they do is kind of like, I mean, they were they were pioneers at the time because they had this idea of like design is a global thing. It's not mm -hmm. just your logo. So they had very early on integrated the idea of, you know, strategizing around the brand before you even, you know, lift your pen to draw a new a new logo. So this is where I learned everything. Um, and I worked there, you know, I worked my way up the, the ladder there from intern all the way to, you know, to consultant. So that was great. Um, I learned the ropes on cool projects from, you know, commercial real estate to even some heavy industrial project like hydraulic pumps, things like that. So in everything in between. So that was tons of fun. Um, and after after 10 years of that, I knew that I didn't want necessarily to work on, you know, on a more executive level yet, um, at least not in an agency context, because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't get actually to do at that point. <laughs> you just kind of like, you know, get get clients and have like meetings with clients and things like that. Yes. But you don't actually think about brand strategy all, all day long, which is still what I like to do. So 
I uh, decided to get an MBA and specialize in fashion because I've noticed throughout all my projects that fashion was the industry that had the most challenge. Like it was the most challenging and it was set to have the most challenges in the future. Um, at the time, you know, e-commerce was it was a thing, but it wasn't so so democratized as it is right now. And it was still very scary for brands and especially luxury brands. Yep. So I definitely, you know, I was I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do when I embarked on that MBA and I knew I wanted to um work for I will I wanted to be this is this is so precise that it's actually scary, but <laughs> I knew I wanted to be a director of brand strategy in an e-com platform that was selling luxury brands and preferably abroad. So it was very precise, the objective that I had when I enrolled. Um, so went through the whole MBA thing and it was great. And literally, I think six months after I graduated, I was the director of brand strategy at Essence, which is a luxury e-com retailer uh, based in Canada. So it worked really well for me. And did, were they were they on your horizon like before you started? Was that a place specifically, Absolutely or not. it could have been anyone within that space? So it could not have been anyone because I was very clear on the kind of you know of brand that I wanted to help mm -hmm. and support, and I was not interested in working for a legacy brand as. Not because I don't like them, I, I love them, but just because I wanted a challenge. So I needed a little bit of disruption in the way the the you know the, the company wanted to approach brand strategy. So it was very deliberate actually um, for me to apply at Essence, and I didn't apply. I didn't apply to a ton of pay, of you know places, but when I saw the the job description, which was literally exactly what I had in mind, um, I knew this was my job already. And this is this is going to sound so pretentious, but it's actually not. It's more on the woo-woo side of things where I just felt, you know, really called to that to that position. And um, it was it was not out of ego. It was really out of, you know, oh, this is the, the, the brand I'm supposed to help. This is them. It's them. So that's, that's how it happened. After Essence, um, I spent three years at Essence, which was great. And my, my job there was really to set up the whole brand and marketing uh, department. Um, because when I joined Essence has been around for, I think, about 12 years, um, was a great platform in terms of technology and in terms of logistics. They really, really had that down to a science, um, but they had no brand per se. Uh, mm -hmm. Content wasn't really a thing. Um, the, they, were, they had no brand recognition and people didn't really know exactly what or who was behind this brand. I was just kind of like a, a, a handy platform, basically. Um, and so my build, my my work was really to build all of that and to build that brand awareness and that that brand equity and you know and develop this um, this point of view, um, which I did for three years. Um, so it went from the department was literally me uh, to about sixty people. Um, yeah, it was a great adventure. Um, you know, probably like you know, it's it's still to this day it's my favorite project <laughs> because it was just I had carte blanche. Uh, the leaders really trusted me. And they were super open to crazy ideas, which I had tons of. And yeah, it was just so fun. Um, and after three years, I basically, you know, looked around and, you know, everything was set up and everything was, you know, kind of like purring like a, like a little cat. So <laughs> I decided that it was time for me to move on um, because I was not super interested in maintaining something yet. Uh, and so I was ready for new challenges. I moved to New York where I oversaw Torokayo and Need Supply, and both those brands belong to the same group. 
Um, and my mandate there was a little bit different because those brands actually had a very strong identity, but they were becoming a little bit, um, I would say, uh, not obsolete because that's that's a little bit too extreme, but they were becoming a little bit old, basically, and they 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 have this um yeah they were they were used to be de- like leaders and they were not de- leaders anymore so my role was really to make them relevant again um which is in you know in fashion that's critical and so i worked there for about 2 years um and then moved on to the webster which is another luxury retailer based out of new york uh i stayed over i mean a little bit under a year because um by the end you know like in the middle of of my 10 um of my tenure over there, the the pandemic arrived, uh, and I had some personal, you know, challenges <laughs> pertaining to to the pandemic. My son was stuck in France, and I was stuck in New York, and it was not convenient at all. So, um, yeah, I left my job, and then uh, came back to France, and now I'm stuck here. Uh, although I got a new job, uh, which is that I'm a chief marketing officer at Girlfriend Collective which is a sustainable uh, at leisure brand. At least that's how we define it right now, but it's not you know, what we're really about, but we'll talk about that in a sec, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and it's been great, great ever since. Um, I love it. And I, it's funny because I, I you know, recognize some of those um, early signs that I saw at Essence in terms of you know, the leaders there, the company um, mission and, and vision and the kind of like... Uh, ambition the level of ambition that I, I really love working with so yeah it's been it's been great so far and is that kind of what attracted you to the girlfriend collective brand did you kind of see that you know throughout the process of you know engaging with them before you jumped on board yeah so th- that that was a long actually um uh interview process because i think both parties wanted to make sure that we you know i think both parties were burned uh, before and we wanted to make sure that it, this was a perfect match ex- especially because you know we knew it, this is going to be a remote situation for a while right so it's it's more difficult to hire somebody you know obviously at, at executive level when you know it's going to you're probably not going to meet them in person for a while um and so there's so many cues that you get from from seeing somebody and interviewing them uh, in the flesh that you don't get through screens. So it was a very long process. And I also wanted to make sure that for me, this was the perfect match. And I've been interviewing with a bunch of companies before meeting with girlfriend and a lot of them, you know, I, and I was focusing on mission driven companies and mostly mm-hmm. in the sustainable area, because this is something also that I realized during the pandemic is that I didn't enjoy anymore sending, you know, um, super expensive handbags to, um, you know, a customer that really wasn't concerned with the bigger picture and the environment and all of that. Not saying like all luxury customers, you know, are not uh, conscious consumers, but there is an archetype that you get in luxury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I was more interested in being part of the solution. And I know it sounds super corny, but that's literally what drove me uh, to to interviewing with, you know, brands that were either B Corps or had a very strong mission statement and things like that. And I met with a bunch. And every time I met with them on paper, it looked great and perfect. And they had all this VC money and, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But um, after most of the time, after 30 minutes of discussing with either the founder or somebody, you know, senior from the, the brand, you realize that, okay, yeah, it's not like really what's driving the, the company. It's not really about that. That's something that you care about 
you know, obviously, but it's not the, it's not what drives everybody. And so that was always an issue for me. And and I, you know, I, I was a little bit dis- desperate um, <laughs> because I realized that, well, isn't there a company out there that is sincere about, about this, right? And, uh, and then I met girlfriend. And that's when I realized that, oh, actually, there is at least one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really, really, that's really interesting insight. Um, and we'll get onto a little bit of that concept, I think, further into the conversation. But I, I want to pose a slightly, and, and it's definitely following on this theme of kind of like impact, like which is the theme of the, the series, but obviously a, a lot of this discussion that we're having. So slightly existential question. I'm like wondering whether you think slow fashion will overtake fast fashion. So overtake, um, I'm not sure, because I think that the nature of human beings is so that we will always need this instant gratification, right? Um, I think we can't totally uh, remove that. And maybe, you know, in the past, it wasn't it wasn't with fashion that we got this in- instant gratification. It was with maybe food or maybe mm-hmm. other other experiences. Uh, but now that we have we had this little little taste of having, you know, great great style great brands uh at the you know at our fingertips and and being delivered to your door or even like you know in shopping mall i think it's going to be difficult to remove the candy but uh, (laughs) i think one opportunity that is coming up is that um thanks to all these you know brands that have this real consciousness and and i'm using the word conscious and consciousness in the very broad sense Um, yeah 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 it has as much to do with sustainability as inclusivity as reviving craftsmanship and things like that i think thanks to those brands you're gonna see um other supply chains coming up right like other solutions um because right now the main the main challenge with slow fashion is that it's slow because the 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 global supply chain is not built for slow fashion or for conscious fashion let's call it that so obviously those brands are also developing and we are part of it but we're also developing ways to change the supply chain so it actually fits the mission better and i think a lot of brands are doing that as well right now um I am. I also on the side. I teach um, at uh, Institut Français de la Mode, and uh, two weeks ago, I met with a lot of brands from Africa, and um, these students were actually not really students because they they have most of them have very healthy brands up and running, you know, making money, um, and they're not they're not in the first year of operation, and, and so they're they're not mature businesses, but they're you know they're fast growing, yep. um, and uh, most of them had this. Um, you know, very accurate sense of, yes, we are not going to rely on the global supply chain because we need to develop the, the skill set and the competency and the tools in-house. So most of them wanted to either at some point become virtually integrated um, or create a local network of um, workers that could support themselves, but also support other brands. Um, you know, and and locally. So I think that's what's going to happen with slow fashion or conscious fashion. This is what we're going to see. It's going to see alternate, um, alternate, yeah, um, supply chains and and ways of manufacturing and producing. So that leads me to another interesting question. So I think the supply chain piece is obviously where some of the challenges lay. But where else do you see? Um, challenges for impact-led brands, you know, in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, I think we are at um, kind of like a crux <laughs> um, in, in the market where 
people, you know, like there's, and that's always been the case, but I feel right now we are, we're reaching a new level of difference of maturity amongst customer. And it depends on a ton of things, but uh, it used to be a simple uh, geographic thing, right? Like we used to say, okay, like younger markets are less mature and they, their level of taste is less mature. Their understanding of, you know, uh, materials and things like that is less mature and slowly they will get to that level well we're actually at that point where everybody has more or less the same amount of information right now right thanks to the internet so the we we now know that the the problem is not the level of information it's not like how educated the customer is it's actually it has nothing to do with that it's the willingness <coughs> sorry and so what you know like how how overcome how to overcome that and how to this is where branding and marketing basically has a, an even even bigger challenge um than that it used to have before because brand awareness was you know and branding building that brand equity and working on you know spreading the word was the biggest challenge and it was more or less what you had to do now it has more to do with making sure that your point of view as a brand comes across as you want it to come across. So, and it becomes really difficult because of a lot of challenges on the social side and, you know, customers are becoming more sophisticated and more layered. Um, and, you know, I always say like, if you ha ask somebody in the seventies to describe themselves, like the, it would be, you know, fairly simple in terms of like, you know, the, the layers that they would, they would share with you, they might tell you, <laughs> A bunch of things about their, um, you know, marital situation, their age, where they live, where they're from, and and you know what they study or you know where they where they work, and maybe their astrological sign, right? <laughs> Something like that. Um, nowadays, obviously, you know, people are more self-aware and self-conscious, and so there has been, you know, a lot of people. A big part of the population made a lot of work on themselves, and when you ask somebody now to describe themselves, this might be. I mean, you've seen my introduction. This might be like a, you know. It's uh, like a journey, right? Um, they will describe the journey and what got us, what what got them there, and like you know, like their sexual orientation, and you know, like how they identify, and all, none of that is part of how we describe ourselves right now. So it's the same with brands; they have the same identity crisis right now. And when you share your point of view as a brand, it becomes more difficult because you want to make sure that you know you you get the point across. And so many times you get misinterpreted, um, you know, and people project on your brand something that it was not intentional, obviously, you know. So it's uh, that's the challenge that I see right now. And for, for smaller brands, for conscious brand, it's even more of a challenge because literally, you know, your point of view is all you have, you know, almost. Um, it's all that differentiates you from fast fashion or for, from other brands that you don't want to be associated with. So yeah, the transmitting that point of view, it's, it's to me that's, and, and make it clear and make it accurate and precise. That's, that's the biggest challenge right now. You mentioned before when you were interviewing, um, for the girlfriend collective, um, position, uh, that you met a bunch of brands and, you know, uh, they were purpose-driven or impact-led and it seemed like maybe the, the sincerity wasn't quite there. So I'd love to understand like internally at Girlfriend Collective and you don't need to go into any sort of like sensitive detail, but like how do you guys balance that? I'm really interested in that concept, you know, for, for impact-led brands because, you know, it, it's not a not-for-profit, so it is a for-profit. So how yeah. do you kind of like, what, what leads the conversation? Is it sometimes profitability we have to overtake purpose or is it always purpose and profitability will have to take a hit? Like how does that kind of work? 
It's always purpose, uh, the girlfriend, uh, which is exactly, I mean, that's, that's part of the questions I asked during the interview process, because um, to me, that's important. And it's not either or, you know, it's like, like being smart about and being able to prioritize and being to time your decision in a way that makes sense for the company and for the purpose. So it's always uh, purpose led. And to be honest, it's easier when the company is smaller to start with that, mm-hmm. right? Um, girlfriend is still very small. People think that we're this big thing, but right now we we just hit the 30 people mark. Uh, and that's as big as we've ever been. <laughs> so, yep. so 30 people doing everything, you know, and um, and so obviously with 30 people, it's easier to have a, you know, across the board kind of like a, a, a good understanding of what the purpose is and how you should prioritize. But we already see challenges in that. We already see, you know, obviously when you grow fast, like we do, um, you onboard more people mm-hmm. and make, making sure that these people understand exactly where we're going and what we're prioritizing is obviously very challenging. Um, but also um, what's interesting is also legacy employees. Uh, you know, who had this this idea of what we were, but now we're talking about growth all of a sudden mm-hmm. and now we're bringing new people. It could be challenging as well, um, you know, and I can see how that could also be, um, you know, sometimes a little bit uh, confusing for for these these uh, employees as well. So we're, we're balancing some of those challenges um, best, as best we can. Um, but I would say it really comes from the top. It's like a top-down approach right now. And and Kwong, our CEO, is really the person making sure that we're staying, you know, that we're keeping our eyes on the prize, which is that mission and that that purpose. So it's not so much about, you know, um, yeah, it's it's we're not getting seduced by, you know, tempting opportunities that would, you know, allow us to kind of like 10x this or 10x that like it's it, we're really conscious and deliberate about all the choices that we make uh, or we try to be and you know everything is very um very much uh seen through the through the lens of is that furthering the mission or not um so yeah so it's I an suppose- everyday thing <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean it, it, it maybe in some ways it's it, it actually makes it easier because there is just a single north star and that's what you're going for and you know you 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 know then the other stuff becomes obviously important because the business needs to run but it it it, it's kind of a long-term play you know what i mean like the north star is there that's where we're going for and we know and everyone involved if there are investors involved you know everyone's on that kind of like same track so yeah that that, that's a really interesting perspective i know that there's a couple of key initiatives that 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 you've got there and and sort of the, the use of recycled plastic is one and then Another one, which actually I've um, uh, recently been asked to give my insights into the the the, the 2020 e-commerce kind of like horizon, and I mentioned Regirlfriend as a very good example of uh-huh. a recycling or a circular commerce type concept. So I'd love to understand from your perspective, maybe more of the brand strategy, like how do they kind of fit into, um, yeah, your mix and and where you guys uh, are going from a strategic perspective. Absolutely. So, you know, it all starts with this like disarming, um, you know, constatation that uh, the world doesn't need another at leisure brand. <laughs> and <laughs> and because of that, um, it kind of makes us, you know, like it, it, our our founder, um, our founders actually. I really question the fact that you know do we uh, what do we do what's the, the the full like life cycle of a product of a girlfriend product and that's how Re girlfriend was born because obviously all our materials uh, right now are either from recycled um, you know um, 
product like uh, fishing nets or water bottles, but they're also from factory scraps and and things like that. So we we literally use waste to make great clothing and so the idea was that well at some point this great clothing is becoming waste again you know um and how can we help our customers and ourselves to even take that mission further and making sure that our leggings don't actually um land in the landfill somewhere and you know kind of like making the product the the, the problem worse in a way and so that's how Rigorfin girlfriend was born and the, the the whole idea uh you know in the long term is really for us to become fully circular uh which we are obviously not yet and it's, it's a very hard thing to do from a logistic point of view and even from a technical point of view because the recycling um right now it's not where you know most of the most of the industry would like you to think it is it's far from it it's really really hard to recycle most of the materials out there and you know it's it's uh there's like a, a, a lot of technical um difficulties even for leggings right like when you have polyester and, and spandex and, and whatnot in the like how do you separate that how do you yeah yeah you know? yeah it's not as i speak i feel that like as a consumer like you get the idea of like sending it to a secondhand store versus recycling yeah. as kind of the same thing but it's obviously a very intense process where you got to break it down to its constituent parts and like exactly. rebuild it <laughs> yeah it's really hard and also you don't want to make more pollution why are you doing that right yeah of course so yeah that's why that's why it's like it's really really complicated so the the rigor friend uh, program is born out of this idea of making sure that we are becoming fully circular at some point eventually and as I said, we're not there yet. And we will also um, trying to build a reselling platform into the company as well, because um, we would, you know, our product lasts for a very long time. And I'm, I'm always surprised about that because not because, you know, I don't like the quality or anything like that, but because I, I you know, I've never before girlfriend, I've never owned a legging that I literally wear for four years. But I, I've met a student the other day. Um, she's a, an Italian. I mean, she's American, but she's studying in Bocconi in Italy. And she was um, doing a paper on something and she she needed and she wanted to focus on girlfriend, which is great. So I gave her a little bit of help. And she told me that she was uh, she she still owns her legging from that free legging campaign that we did um, <laughs> at the launch of girlfriend and that she still uses them. That's been like almost five years ago. And, uh, you know, and I hear that all the time. It's it's so this product could last. And, you know, obviously the lifetime of the product is not necessarily the time where you're still interested in the product. So instead of like throwing it away, we know that, you know, there's a, a lot of people that are reselling their girlfriend um, clothing out there. But weirdly, and this is, you know, obviously like flattering, but there's also like fake girlfriend product out there that are not girlfriend uh, but they're they're marked as girlfriends so we wanted to kind of like centralize and and do something a little bit like the real real where we authenticate and you know and we kind of like enable you to buy your girl your your you know um your secondhand girlfriend product in a in a cool and you know and safe environment yeah yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah that's something that we have you know um thought about and and we'll probably implement at some point to again like further this full circularity uh, mission so yeah and I, i'm keen to understand like from the the sort of customer perspective like have you found and maybe not just at girlfriend but 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 we can focus on on, on your you know your, where you are at right now D does it make it easier to connect with customers when there's like this purpose and like how do you guys go about like 
building loyalty with customers and stuff like that? You know, it's so interesting because um, that's actually something I encountered both at both at Essence and and Girlfriend is that you have your early customers, um, you know, people who who've been supporting you like almost since the beginning. Those people tend to re- be really close to the the mission, right? And that's that's why they chose you in the first place. So there's a lot of uh, scrutiny that goes in there, but it's it's a it's a good scrutiny, right? Yeah. Like they, they really uh, are engaged, and they when something is not right, they let you know immediately. And um, and no, but those guys are so helpful, and it's it's incredible, um, you know what they what they find, and you know what they are able to tell us. So I'm talking, you know, from let's say like um, user experience online to even products. We get we get a lot of cool product feedback from our community. Um, and they, you know, and we know when there's an issue with a fit um, after a while, and then we know we we even do fit clinics uh, where we invite them in LA, and we we have discussions around the product um, and things like that. So we have this very engaged base, um, very loyal, and they are great. Um, they're so helpful for us, and, and we love them because obviously they, you know, they're they're so so engaged, and it's so cool to serve a customer that's like that, that's really passionate about the brand. At least for me, you know, as a brand strategist, that's like the best, the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then on the other side, what well, we 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 have our new customer who comes across girlfriend from a, a whole different um, path, and these people are being seduced probably by the aesthetic of the brand, by yeah. you know, and for them, sustainability, inclusivity, um, they are kind of like second thought right like it's not something that they see immediately and they might not even realize um that we're this brand especially if you don't if you don't they don't buy girlfriend on the girlfriend website but if they buy it you know uh, you know let's say Galerie Lafayette or Selfridges Mm -hmm. um so that's when it becomes interesting because these customers it's kind of like oh and on top of that it's sustainable and inclusive cool but it's not their first you know um entry point uh so so that's that's interesting and Engaging with those guys is obviously um, something new for girlfriend because that means that we need to talk about other things than sustainability and inclusivity, and we need to kind of like broaden our our, our horizon. So, you know, we have a lot of uh, initiatives coming up, but content is definitely um, a big one that we're going to develop a little bit more. And we've already started with a great piece that we made on Michael Sam. Uh, he's uh, he's an NFL player, and he was um, he was uh, the the first uh, openly um, gay uh, NFL player. Uh, wow. who came out. Yeah, he came out four years ago, actually. The first, wow, yeah. that's yeah. bad. Yes, and um, he he's a great person, and obviously he was he was actually you know slightly coerced into coming out. So that came with it's it's um, you know it's. Kind of like it's challenge in terms of mental health and even kind of like there's a lot of questions obviously that you ask yourself when you reach that point in your career and you're great and you you know one of the best players out there and and all of a sudden your life is rocked by something deeply personal that you didn't intend to share and so um we had this great piece of content um where it was an interview and he uh you know he explains his self-care practices um how he supports mental health um you know from a, a charity and philanthropy perspective and what he does uh for other people like him um you know and for the community at large he's he's such a great person um and so we were you know he's he's a girlfriend collective person he's definitely the archetype of 
um, the kind of customers that we want to uh, cater to. And also we want our customer to recognize greatness, even in the, you know, in the, in the NFL, which is uh, interesting because there is an archetype of the NFL player and Michael is the exact, you know, like not the exact opposite, but he's so much more than that. He's, he's just like the multi-layered, amazing, sensitive person. Um, yeah, and then that so that's the kind of people that we want to feature a little bit more. We want to talk about, you know, a lot of interesting topics. And so yeah, we're going to, we're going to develop a content, and that's going to be a way for us to reach and to kind of merge both our you know legacy customer and our um, our, our new customers, I guess. So what one of the tenets of this sort of theme was I read a business of fashion. Uh, article i think it's a downloadable in fact um and they suggested that the new four p's of marketing it's a pyramid of purpose positioning partnerships and personalization and i thought you know this group of people that i'm talking to yourself included i would love to get your take on it what what do you think about that and do you guys kind of fit into that mix yeah so it's i want to say you know they're right absolutely um and i would say it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one because personalization and i was listening to a podcast this morning i think about that it's like personalization is this kind of holy grail that i've i've you know since the beginning of my career where we've been talking about personalization and i think there's kind of like a you know so many avenues that you can take with personalization to me that's the most interesting and that's the one that nobody does quite well yet mm. um because we want things that the technology right now is not able to accommodate um the way i hear personalization is not so much in the product because that's you know i mean obviously we can all you know um put your name on exactly. your name. <laughs> yeah exactly. that's the like classic personalization sort of exactly. feature, right yeah yeah and that's 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 easy and that's not yeah. interesting you know and uh, as a consumer it's we already have so much choice like why would we you know like what we want additional choice now and we have to come up with our own style now you know so it's not that interesting but what's interesting in personalization is how do how does technology and how does the brand um, strategy help me, the consumer, uh, save time, which is the most valuable resources that we all have because you can't, you can't, you can't get it back, right? When they want to spend it, spent. Um, how can a brand help me save time, help me save money, and help me make the right choices uh, for me? And that's where I feel technology is not quite there yet because, you know, the off-the-shelf um, e-commerce solutions out there are great, but right now you can't really tailor a, a journey for a customer. Let's mm. say, you know, what's like we we know about team's preferences. We know, you know, what he, he likes and, you know, where he lives and where he's going on vacation in two months. And so we're going to give, um, we're going to show him some great puffers and, and things like that because, you know, we all know like there are a bunch of challenges and privacy being uh, yeah, 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 right yeah. now. Um, so all of that hasn't been solved. And personalization is is the one that I'm personally most interested in um, as a brand strategist. This is the one, um, the, the one holy grail, I would say. The three others, so purpose, positioning and partnerships, those those are have already been, you know, part of the of the picture um, of the marketing picture. I want to say positioning, you know, it's kind of like um, I always say after World War II, um, you had this period of 30 years where there was like one brand of anything, you know, <laughs> so you are two maybe. OK, so, you know, detergent, you had like two brands and things yeah. like that. In the 80s, 90s, um, this changed totally. And all of a sudden, you have 20 brands of shampoo. And, you know, that's when positioning became 
a thing. That's when you know, big, you know, PNG and Unilever and all these great, um, you know, goods company. That's when they came up with those brand strategy, um, you know, uh, processes and all of that because they had to. They had to make you pick one over the other on the shelf in the supermarket. So positioning was always there purpose is a new thing because it's based out of like okay so now that we're done you know basing our choices on aesthetic and now that we we you know the information is free flowing and transparency is is a thing and and we also see all the challenges that this consume consumption this crazy consumption produces and you know i'm talking about global warming and inequalities and things like that so now that you have that you have to see what does this brand do to be part of the solution. So that's, you know, great brands um, definitely understood that early on and and, and jumped on that purpose train. Um, and then partnerships is uh, obviously you see that more and more, but that's also always has been more or less of a thing because obviously as a brand, you needed to partner with retailers, you needed to partner with, yeah. you know, so obviously the the scale of it um is changing and now partnerships can be you know like a, a multi-layered uh really interesting um experience for the consumers but the, those three i feel are i've always been always been there and personalization is not even close to being here yet uh, so that's that's how that's how i see that um but yeah I, I like those four p's um for sure they are super interesting so um, you have a blog, which I noticed that isn't, isn't f- hugely frequently updated, but you do have a couple of posts that are more recent and yes. I digested all of them and I, and I really, really enjoyed um, re- reading everything. But one particular quote stood out to me um, and it was that organizations um, and brands that decide to ignore the world um, we live in will lose market share. Yeah. And so when I read that, I immediately thought, and I'm not sure if this is where you were going, but the, my, my observation was like, I, I went to a Victoria's Secret kind of immediately. You know, that's yeah. to mind. And I suppose like w- with that kind of idea, I suppose, or case study or whatever, like what's your take on that? Do, do you think traditionally conservative companies like a Victoria's Secret can truly reinvent themselves as like a modern, inclusive and, and conscious brand? I think so. And it it actually goes back to, um, you know, what we've talked about earlier around like this, this purpose led, uh, like it has to come from the top. And so that's why companies like Victoria's Secrets were blind for so long is that, you know, I have, I've never been, you know, uh, in their office. I don't know, you know, who, who is working there and whatnot, but from the outside, I would assume that it's, um, you know, a lot of, probably like male in their 50s and 60s, you know, in a boardroom and not a woman in sight, right? So in this case, it's kind of like if they had a bunch of younger women, well, maybe these younger women would have flagged that, you know, guys, like these crazy shows where you spend all your money, they're really outdated and they don't really add anything to the dialogue right now. Actually, you guys making it worse. Um, But because they don't have that, that, you know, this this uh like they don't reach out basically to to the relevant people um that's how they found themselves in this in this position where they were called out and it was they were such an easy target and that could have been avoided if they had made their decision making team a little bit more diverse um in in this case it was simply be bring a couple women you know and younger women preferably because yeah. they you know and and so i think you know to answer the question i think yes there is there is a path where you know traditionally conservative company can actually reinvent themselves 
Um, but I think it takes a a lot of brand uh, self-awareness from yeah. those leaders. And that's the hardest part because it's comfortable. And I, you know, obviously I, I don't blame anyone because if I were in that situation, it's scary to, you know, you've been doing business a certain way for 20, 30, 50 years in some cases, and it worked. So, you know, all of a sudden the world is changing, but you live in your bubble because you're still making sales and it's still, it's still working and people are still coming in the stores or on the website. So somebody comes in and tells you like, well, you know, you might want to think about this, this thing and this aspect of your business and this and this, and, and because the world is changing and you see, well, the numbers don't tell me that the world is changing. The numbers look good. Um, you know, and, and and I think that's where it's it's difficult for those leaders to make those those uh, changes and and kind of like to open the door to more diversity in their boardroom. But honestly, un- unless they do that, um, they won't be able to change because you need to be able to see that, and then you also need a, to be able to integrate those people because it's not just a thing to have them in the boardroom. Then you need also to listen to what they have to say. And you need to uh, listen in a way that is not, you know, not to be on the defensive or not to say, well, we've always been doing things that way. Um, and it's always worked because because that's that's where, you know, that's that's the trap is that, yes, it works for now. But, you know, project yourself in five years. And when America, uh, the, the Gen Z cohort right now in America will be the most educated and the most diverse generation ever. Uh, how do you think those guys are going to look at, you know, conservative brands out there and be you know and and see themselves they won't and they're again we are the in the age where all this information is widely available you can know who's who's sitting on the board of what mm. in two seconds you can google that um so you know it's it's uh, and and those companies they are there's so many layers of and so many reasons why they don't want things to change and and comfort and safety is the main one um right now it's still it's still feel safe but it's actually the most dangerous place to be um you know so yeah i think it's possible but it takes a lot of internal and 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 recognition internal recognition and and that's that is not easy at all yeah i think the self-awareness thing is a really interesting point there right? i suppose it's kind of like it's the fundamentals of good leadership right like yes. self-awareness humility understanding that if you're getting too comfortable (laughs) maybe you want to just challenge whether that that is the right place to be Um, exactly yeah and and you know and i i get it because the world was uh, it was not but it looked uniform for such a long time and and now that you know we hear different voices it it becomes a little bit triggering probably for this company and and these people and they they probably don't even understand what's going on right now it's not being you know um i don't think it it comes from a bad place you know for most of them i think it comes from a totally confused place Uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) so what is happening like the people are still people why is this happening and well no people are not people anymore they're exactly. individuals yeah to, to be a fly on the wall in those board meetings would be something i think um, i would love that <laughs> <laughs> i'm keen to sort of um uh, you know round out the conversation and um i'd love to understand a little bit more about you we've talked a lot about branding and tory secret and, and, and girlfriend collective and so forth but like so what advice would you you've been doing this for 16 years what advice would you give or would you give to your younger self Oh, that's, that's a great question that, um, you know, I, I have a 12 year old boy, yeah. so, and he's, uh, he grew up 
with a mother that's, you know, in brand strategy and marketing. Mm -hmm. His father is a musician and an artist. So he's seen, you know, he's traveled a lot and he, he's super lucky. I wish I was, you know, I had his childhood. He sounds uh, like a cool parent. So I'll, yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. Very <laughs> and, good and, and beyond that even is that he's been exposed to so much and, and open to so much. And I think that's the, that's the, one of the advice that I would give myself uh, way back. It's that, you know, be like voracious about the information and, and, you know, be super, super curious about everything because even the things, the stupid things that you think are not going to be useful or, or you know, that weekend in Milan or whatever, like everything at some point kind of like builds together and it's, it's what makes us, us. So I think I was, you know, I was, um, I was definitely curious and I was definitely, you know, um, very open to the world. And I started traveling as soon as I could and I could afford it. <laughs> soon, But, um, I think that I was still a bit shy and still a bit, um, um, you know, I don't know, for some reason, I feel like I wasn't that that fully available when I was traveling or, you know, receiving all that information. And I, I would definitely advise myself to be more like that uh, mm -hmm. because I see my, my son is like that and he's so creative. And I think it's not just him. I think it's just that whole generation. They don't have this complex around information because they're they're born with the information mm. at their fingertip and and he's lucky because he's been traveling you know he's been on all continents um which is crazy like at 12 right like i didn't yeah. have, you know i didn't know what the world was at 12 i had no idea and he's seen everything and i feel like you know i hope that most of the kids will have this opportunity in the future because i definitely know that they don't have it right now and i can see like what a great person he's um becoming and how creative he is and how even he thinks you know even his sense of humor is so different from i was the most boring 12 year old kid you know compared to him i'm always amazed it's like how how and so i think that's that's the thing it's the this openness that he was uh lucky to have that you know we can create for ourselves obviously not at 12 but a little bit later and when you create that for yourself it changes everything and then the second thing i would tell myself if if you know if i was meeting my my 20 self yeah. 20 year old self is that nobody really knows what they're doing don't worry about it <laughs> it's true it is so yeah. well i it's interesting i always find that, that that some people i know and you you do see it that, that they have got a clear path like you know i've got some some people friends of mine that i grew up with and they they had this very clear direction of what they wanted to do and in some ways i'm, I'm always in awe that that was their path and they just kind of knew it already but that's yeah. so few it's just so rare i think i think yeah you got to throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks and, and give it a go and you know it's all exactly. about the journey right exactly and it's, that's exactly it it's all about the journey and actually failing is not fun but boy is it useful you know, it's like, and I feel like, you know, with the pandemic, we all felt that to some degree. I certainly did, because this is the first time in my life that I was actually actively looking for a job. Um, you know, it's like, and it's, it's because before that I would always have kind of like a plan B or something waiting, you know, um, when I was ready to move on. And for the first time I just quit cold Turkey and had nothing lined up and it was in the middle of a pandemic. And I was, you know, um, back in France, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily want to live here anymore. So it's, it's been, um, a lot of, um, questioning and a lot of like, okay, what is it? What do I want to do exactly? What kind of people I want to work with and for, um, and what kind of, you know, people I want to serve things like that. And I think, you know, 
this this was this could have been considered a a you know a mistake or fail or or whatnot. It was the probably the greatest thing I've ever done, um, to be honest. And so, it's uh, I think you know being being um, comfortable with failure um, doesn't mean that you're not afraid to fail, and and you have to be to a certain extent to be a fully functioning adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, being comfortable with the idea of failure and knowing that you're going to get something out of it, uh, it's going to sting, but you're going to get something out of it. I think that's that's also something so, so important. Fanny, I think that's a fantastic way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your time. This was great. It's like being at the shrink. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you my invoice. Thank you. <laughs> There you go. A massive thank you to Fanny for joining me. I'd highly recommend Googling her and checking out the talk she's done. Um, There's some really cool stuff on YouTube. You can also check out Girlfriend Collective at girlfriend.com and look out for episode four of this season dropping next week. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Yotpo, leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, Uh, like, subscribe, download, uh, and tell all your mates to do the same. I'll see you next time.